if you look at the data for this, right? If we're talking, I'm not talking about competing or just getting in shape. If you look at the data, it's make them habit-based goals instead okay. of outcomes, yeah. right? Instead of saying, I want to lose 20 pounds by X date, tell yourself, if I can make sure that I have one bad meal a week mm-hmm. and I eat cleanly the rest of it and I work out four days a week and I go to bed and have seven hours of sleep or, or more, like if I do all of those right, those things right, then I might lose 18 pounds or 15 pounds or 30 pounds, like, but good things are going to happen. Yeah. And not only that, you're not putting extra stress on yourself and you're not trying to, you know, you're just taking those small steps and making sure that you're doing the right things mm-hmm. consistently. Again, consistently, like you said, that's, that's an important concept. And when you start stringing those together, good things tend to happen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the comparative human experience, and we challenge ourselves to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. It is through these conversations that we hope to provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. Our guest today is Gabe Salinas. Gabe is the owner of the sports performance facility, The Sports Lab, a former professional MMA fighter and a speaker on the topic of performance in various facets. Gabe has helped professional athletes to weaken warriors and everything in between to achieve their peak athletic performance. As someone who desires to learn and improve daily, Gabe stays on the cutting edge of the research on human performance in hopes to help both himself and his athletes. And in our conversation, we cover much of this facets of Gabe's interests and we kind of start understanding where Gabe got his start in movement or sports particularly and Gabe gives some stories of the early days of the MMA scene in specifically jujitsu and we kind of spend some time there to unpack fighting culture and what you learn through movement especially in something that is perceived as violent as MMA. Uh, From there we move into his coaching aspects and how he views coaching and where his natural curiosity comes from for applying not only movement aspects but understanding the research behind what works best and not only that we get really deep into understanding high performance and what is high performance and then just what makes people who are at the top of their respective fields that good and kind of the mindset that goes into that and Beyond that, we kind of talk about how the everyday person can work to achieve a certain level of performance that they may not be able to achieve otherwise, you know, paying attention to sleep, diet and other things, and just being aware of what's working for you and what's not and making small adjustments. And I don't know, this is this conversation was a lot of fun. And to be able to pick Gabe's brain as someone I don't. I've found out all of this stuff for movement and diet through my own research and to actually sit across from someone like Gabe where he can actually give real time feedback and his own knowledge in the space was a really big treat for me because this type of conversation is part of the reason I do this is so I can get across from people who are the experts or live and breathe it at the very least. And can I say that am I on the right path? And it's really fun for me. So With that, everyone, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Gabe Salinas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. In today's episode, we're joined by Gabe Salinas. What's going on? 
Nothing much, man. <laughs> Just a weekend here in rainy, cold Chicago. Yeah. It's brutal out there. <laughs> it really is. At least it's not as bad as they were making it seem like it was going to be. Fair enough. <laughs> so, Gabe, give everybody your quick – not quick, but what is your background and then where – what are you mostly focusing your time in currently? Yeah. So, I am a strength and conditioning coach. I own a gym here in Addison, lovely Addison, Illinois, called the Sports Lab. And that's kind of what I've been putting all of my effort into and time into over the past, it's been a long time, probably 17 years. Oh, wow, cool. I was a strength coach at Virginia Tech prior. I've I've been a strength coach a few other places, uh, smaller schools. And and so now I have this facility here and we've been open for seven years, I believe, six, seven years. And it's been going well. So that's what I... That's what I put all my effort into. The goal is to, no matter the sport, no matter the gender, no matter the age, help our athletes prepare and perform better. Cool. So where did that interest in movement begin? Because normally people like yourself, it's it's very deep-rooted at a very young yeah, age. that's actually, that's so true. Uh, so I was a terrible athlete in high school, like, like absolutely just garbage athlete in high school. And I went through my all four years of high school, not really playing a whole lot. I had a sophomore start over me in varsity when I was a senior, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There was nothing about athletics that I was good at. And, and about mid senior year, I started learning how to lift weights. I'd been lifting a little bit and I started picking it up a little bit more and starting to research a little bit more and learn a bit of, a little bit more about how to become a better athlete. Mm-hmm. And from there I started getting decent athletically and then, I continued to to grow and improve and, and ended up competing at a fairly high level in, in mixed martial arts and amongst a, a few other things. So I kind of want to take that knowledge and I'm, I'm analytical in nature and, mm-hmm. and I appreciate actually learning objective data, which yeah. is, I think, a rare thing in 2020. Um, <laughs> so I, I like kind of putting those pieces together and, and helping mm-hmm. the athletes perform better. That's very cool. For... For someone like yourself, like you said, you weren't a good athlete in the beginning. Was there anyone around you, like coaches or teachers, who kind of helped break it down for you or saw that you wanted to be? Not really. If I'm being honest, I I look back and I don't think there was anyone necessarily who who helped me with that part. Mm -hmm. I think there were some people along the way who helped me do certain things. Uh, There was one guy named Louie who was really nice at a gym I went to, he let me, I was 16, 17, mm-hmm. helped me, he let me like vacuum the gym for free membership kind of deal. Like, yeah. I trained from there and he was encouraging. But outside of that, not really. Uh, huh. It was more of a just, I want to learn and continued to learn and, and thankfully. That's really cool. So again, too, the, to to pick on the MMA thread, that had to be really early on in MMA's life because it, <laughs> it started... In 93, 94, really, realistically with the UFC. So for you to pick up on MMA at, at like the beginning of it, that's got to be rare. So I have a story for that. <laughs> I've done an interview when I was fighting. I did a few interviews and, and I remember telling you stories. And this is my favorite story to tell. So Richard Jesse, he's still a good friend of mine. I went to this gym called The Weight Club in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is where I went to college, Virginia Tech. And I must have been 18 at the time. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting on this machine and I'm working out. And to give you guys a little point of reference, I'm 6'1", at this point, 240, 250, right? And I'm sitting on this machine and this little 5'5", 155-pound guy 
kind of talks like this, you know, <laughs> looks at me. He's like, hey, man, you should come check out jujitsu. And keep in mind, like you said, this was 2002, maybe. Yeah. And MMA, no one really knew what no MMA way. was at that point. Come check out jujitsu. Well, now if someone says, come check out jujitsu, everybody like, oh, knows Conor it. Conor McGregor and this and that, you know, everyone knows MMA and UFC and jiu-jitsu. And back then, nobody did. So I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want to go do karate is what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, just give it a shot. I'm like, all right, fine. So this place, the weight club, had this little room. It must have been 20 by 20. And we go in there, and they're having a jiu-jitsu class. There must have been six, seven, eight people there. And, again, back then, he kind of had to prove to these people that this stuff works. No one has mm-hmm. to prove that anymore. But back then, so he's like, this stuff even works with the biggest guy. And I was the biggest guy in the room. And he comes in and he's like, so, you know, showed me an arm bar, showed him an arm bar. And, and I'm this asshole who, like, I'm bigger and stronger. This guy just kind of curl him out, curl out of that arm bar. And I tried to. And he kind of just rolled through and put some pressure on and made me tap out. So I'm looking at it. Shit. I need to get good at this. So, <laughs> You know, I kept going, and, and that was my first two years of jiu-jitsu, and I've been doing it uh, ever since, and I absolutely love it. But one of my favorite pieces about that story is not just Richard Jesse and how he got me into it, but I think a lot of people in life, and definitely in jiu-jitsu, when they go to a class like that, especially guys, and they see that they suck at it, right? And they see that they get their ass kicked, and they see that it's uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. There are two types of people. There are the types of people who want to hide that blind spot Mm -hmm. in their ego. So they just pretend it was a fluke and pretend that stuff doesn't work and then they never go back. And then on the flip side, there are the people who are like, shit, like I suck at this. Like I need to get better. And they just keep going and they get better. And I just think that's a really interesting thing. You know, a lot of people tend to shy away from the stuff that they're bad at instead of attack it. I tend to look at working out as like a, a safe area for failure. You know, the whole point of going to the gym and lifting weights is you push yourself beyond what you think you're capable of. Even if it's a little bit, you know, it's push yourself within limits so you're not hurting yourself. But it's a point where you can say, can I do a little bit more? And then you fail and you're like, all right, well, I guess I couldn't do it today. And then you come back tomorrow and you do it over and over again. And then slowly but surely you just get better, you know, and it doesn't matter what category it could mean in like more more flexibility. It could mean in jujitsu. It could mean in, you know, how much you bench press or deadlift. It's all of those things. And then when you can extract those lessons to the real world is where it pays off because, because you're less negative reactive, you know, because when things don't go your way, you're just like, eh. Whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go get choked out at the gym tomorrow, later yeah. today or something. You know, it's, it's so true you say that, like the lessons that you get, whether it's in a jiu-jitsu gym or whether it's in a weight room or, or any other gymnastics facility, it doesn't matter. I've talked a lot and I've heard this a lot from parents of my athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and I work from anywhere from middle school all the way up to professional athletes. And what you hear is they pay for their kids to come to my facility or any other facility to get better. Yeah. get coached to get better but it's not just that piece it's the life lessons that you receive from that training right the hard work and the discipline and the ability to handle failure and continue to striving on those are all things that are huge huge building blocks for success in life yeah. and i think a lot of times people tend to forget that aspect yeah i i couldn't agree more with that i i tend to look at 
a lot of elite performers mm-hmm. in through the lens of they're elite in the sense that they chose this one thing, be it yeah. football, basketball, baseball, anything, CEO, right? Yeah. They they chose that, and they're really good at it. But they could have picked anything from the alphabet soup, t- and yeah. they would have been just as good in those other categories, unless out of a freak accident. That's so true. I remember reading an article a while back about the salaries of, of college football coaches. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, like my whole life is athletes yeah. and <laughs> athletics. And, and my mom doesn't quite understand it, right? She doesn't quite understand why people like sports so much and why so much money is involved and so on and so forth. And without getting into that, you know, I, I was, was talking to her about this and, and I remember reading this article and I told her about this and, and Nick Saban was, was in the middle of a contract negotiation. I read this article many years back and his agent was talking exactly, he said exactly what you said. He's like, Nick Saban chooses to be a college football coach. If he didn't want to be, he would be the CEO of IBM, right? Or anything else. He would be a high performer somewhere else. He just happens to also really like football. Yeah. You know? and, and that was a really good, you know, it's a really good piece of, of information to hear because it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you do the little things right, they turn to big things and, and so on and so forth. So. I think you're you're exactly right in, in terms of that high performers are high performers because of the choices that they make and the discipline that they have and the mm-hmm. consistency that they do those things with. It's not that they were just lucky. Yeah. They, they would probably do really well and most of the time do in other things too. You just said like one of my favorite words ever is consistency. Yeah. And, it, and it keeps coming up over and over again. Now, right now as it's early in January, everybody yeah. is all about New Year's resolutions and things like this. And I'm going to bounce off an idea from you that I keep thinking about and kind of thinking about resolutions in a different way. Mm-hmm. People, people talk about, yeah, get motivated. And you'll have, once you have motivations, you'll get to the end. And I think... Motivation only goes so far. Motivation yeah. only lasts until things get difficult. Mm-hmm. What you really need is to have a mission, mm-hmm. something that you are so invested in that this is my thing to accomplish. It sounds very Jocko-like, but it's, it's, I've been thinking about trying to reformulate a way for other people to think about why they want to like lose some weight or, or do some sort of achievement that they want to kickstart in their 2020, basically. I think one of the things that I like about working with athletes is for the most part specifically higher level ones they remain consistent yeah and they come to my gym and they're there for you know three days a week and they get better and i don't have to worry about a whole lot in terms of their buy-in right their buy-in is pretty high and over the years i've been doing this and one of the reasons why i think that is and i'm fairly certain that is is because they have set points that they have to be prepared for Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is if I play football, if I'm not ready by August 15th, then I'm going to be in a world of hurt. And not only am I going to be in a world of hurt, I'm going to be in a world of public hurt. Either my coach or my teammates or the fans or somebody is going to see that I have to put all of my effort into my off season and it's not showing on the field. Yeah. Right? Nobody gets lucky in the off season by doing nothing and coming (laughs) back and being amazing. That's just not how it works. And when you look at adults and you think of the adults in your life out there, the people who tend to get in shape after, let's say 25 or 30, right? They get in shape or even after 22, let's say after college, Mm -hmm. they get in shape because they're going on vacation because they're doing a tough mutter because they have a wedding coming up because there's some event down the road that they have to be prepared for 
and they know that come May 15th on my wedding, if I'm not prepared, the picture gonna pictures are gonna show it, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's gonna see it. And so I think what happens is a lot of people after 22 and they stop competing in things and they stop doing things. So they don't have anything that's forcing them mm-hmm. to be prepared for a specific date. There's no competition. There's no events, nothing like that. Yeah. And instead they say, well, I'm going to start next week or I'll start next year. Or I'll start next month because there's nothing that's holding them to it. And so I think that's a big piece of it too. And you talk about a mission, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a good concept, but it's got to be something like, what is it that's going to make me for sure be ready? Yeah. Like when I was training to fight, I knew that if my fight was on October 15th, if I wasn't ready on October 15th, then I'm screwed. Right. I'm not ready for it. And and, and not only that, but like, not only am I going to maybe be embarrassed, but like, I'm going to get hurt too. Yeah. Know? Right. So every time I had an opportunity to drink or eat poorly or miss my training session or whatever it may be, I'm not doing that, man. Yeah. Because I want to be prepared. So I think that's a big piece too, is you have to have some sort of timeline that I need to be ready for this or I want to be prepared for this because if you don't, it makes things a lot tougher too. Yeah. Would, would, would you have any recommendations for to say someone who's an average person maybe works in the office? You know, one thing that we look, if you look at the data for this, right? If we're talking, I'm not talking about competing or just getting in shape. If you look at the data, it's make them habit-based goals instead okay. of outcome, yeah. right? Instead of saying, I want to lose 20 pounds by X date, tell yourself, if I can make sure that I have one bad meal a week Mm -hmm. and I eat cleanly the rest of it and I work out four days a week and I go to bed and have seven hours of sleep or or more. Like if I do all of those right, those things right, then I might lose 18 pounds or 15 pounds or 30 pounds. Like, but good things are going to happen. Yeah. And not only that, you're not putting extra stress on yourself and you're not trying to, you know, you're just taking those small steps and making sure that you're doing the right things Mm -hmm. consistently. Again, consistently, like you said, that's, that's a, important concept and when you start stringing those together good things tend to happen i did the same thing for myself and i still do that i i try to say okay you just gotta get there more than anything because yeah. there's a lot of times where there's days where i just don't feel like going yeah. like everybody else we just don't feel like going to sure. do something and normally when i get there i normally start feeling one feeling better once i start getting moving it's like oh cool i'm glad i came <laughs> and the other part of it was just like if i I made these things a habit for myself so that I started doing it when I was about 21, 22. And I said, okay, if I can get this as a habit now as I'm balancing work and school, by the time I'm 30 and I'm balancing work, school and a family or whatever combination of – like I'm not going to get any less busy is my point. You know, life doesn't get less busy. It just gets busier. And so I I looked at it in the way of like, okay, I'm just going to – make these habits now before it's too late, mm-hmm. before it's that much more difficult. And then I have someone else who's yelling at me like, why are you going to the gym when you need to, you know, take care of other responsibilities or something like that. And it helps me just decompress after work. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't know if you, you could explain this cause you do work at a gym. Yeah. It's a little bit different, but I've told coworkers of mine who just don't get it. And I'm like, if I'm going to work like 12 hours, I might need to leave for lunch and like for an hour and decompress because yeah. I just can't focus at work because there's something about you know getting into the gym and moving physically that has mm-hmm. such a awesome press stress reliever for yeah, yourself for sure 
No, yeah, I mean, that's there's tons of data on that, too, just uh, for a variety of different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, getting the blood flow going and mm-hmm. endorphins. And I think there's psychologically, you just feel so much better, too, you know? And, and so I think that it's a big, big piece. And when you look at high performers, CEOs, and elite people, and whatever, I think there's really three things. And from, from all the books I've read and podcasts I've listened to, so on, so there are like three things. They they tend to wake up early and they tend to read and they tend to work out. Yeah. Right. And, and so anecdotally, and then also from a research perspective, like if you want to be, have a better shot at being successful or doing anything, like you should probably work out. Right. Yeah. Because it does increase performance and mm-hmm. it does increase, you know, there's a study, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was, it was children. It was so like, one of the big things now is they're trying to get rid of PE. Right. Oh, seen that, right? no, I, yeah, there's, there's some, that's interesting. I mean, specifically Illinois, I know has been had some votes on getting rid of PE. And I think across the country federally, there's, there's some, they huh. get rid of PE, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Right? It sounds ridiculous. ridiculous. And there's some data on, on children who, and I'm going to, I'm going to bungle this. We'll have to look it up, but children who, who had, let's say 30 minutes of activity, physical activity a day, yeah. there's children that did it. Right. And I don't know if it was an intelligence test, like an IQ test they did, or if it was testing them itself. They just did some tests. But I'm certain that the kids that worked out tended to score higher on the mm-hmm. tests, which isn't a crazy thing to think, right? It's pretty obvious. Right. And the data backs it up. But when you think about that, too, like you're going to get smarter probably by working out, right? And there are a lot of different mechanisms for why, and I'm not sure what they are exactly. But, yeah. You know, so there's a big piece there, too. I, I think that's an important thing to bring up because – I had this intuitive sense going into my journey as like learning physical activity was, okay, there's this idea that I've always been an intellectual and I've said this on the podcast multiple times and I love to pick on it because I think it proves a lot of points, but I knew that there was this physical component that was lacking and I, and I thought about it in a way of like this symbiotic circle where it's Mm -hmm. like when, when you, when one side of the blade is dull. Yeah. And the other is too sharp. You you're, you're you know you got to balance out the system, For and sure. they feed into yeah. each other. And like you see, one of the things I notice now is is that I've done it is like when you get used to movements, it's like the the neural neural processes of like getting used to moving the body in certain ways. You know, be it doing a squat or being it doing a deadlift or any sort of movement. Someone who's just doing it really like early on as a beginner is they're super clumsy. Yeah. But then over time you get like real, it's like, it's like in real time learning where you get to see how the person's brain is, is, is learning these movements and like the, the body is able to work as a unit. And I think it's a really awesome way of being able to teach young, young kids, like what learning looks like, because because we're so used to sitting still and not moving while learning that we... You, it just doesn't feel like an interactive process yeah. when it really it's is. Neural adaptation, by the way. Oh, okay. Call it right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's it, when you build out that talking about kids moving and all that, mm-hmm. like building a big movement bank, yeah, so to speak. Right, it's called multilateral development. Oh, cool. Is is an incredibly important piece, mm-hmm. and if we're talking about elite athletes. When you look at the data for that, there have been, I think, three long-term, like, longitudinal studies mm-hmm. in different countries for, is it better to specialize or generalize your kids? Yeah. Right? <laughs> if you'd ask a 2020 parent or a 2020 club coach, they would say specialize. If you ask the data, and if you ask people who are at a very high level, every single one would say generalize. And 
it backs it up. So basically what happens is when you look at these kids, and if you have a tennis player, for example, or soccer player, it doesn't matter. <coughs> and they start at five years old and all they do is play tennis for their entire life. They're going to be better than the kid, <coughs> sorry, than the kid who plays baseball and soccer and volleyball and tennis and all those other sports up until I believe 16 or 17. Yep. And then when they hit 16, 17, that kid tends to specialize at around 14, 15. That kid will start to overtake them. And then their ceiling is a lot higher too. The kids that specialize, sorry, generalize tend to be the ones who are on Olympic teams and play professionally and so on and so forth. And the one of, there are a lot of reasonings behind it, right? Burnout and injuries and so on and so forth. But one of the big ones is the kid who played multiple sports not only avoided the burnout and the injuries and all that, but most importantly, they developed this incredibly big bank of movements, right? Yeah. Movement bank, right? Multilateral development. They learned how to throw a ball and they learned how to backpedal and they learned how to throw a sidearm and throw, you know, and, and catch and they learned how to start and stop and they learned how to, you know, do so many different things, so many different ways mm-hmm. that when they go and play their specialized sport, they can play it at a much higher level. And, uh, and, and it's the data is just overwhelming on that. Yeah. So, it's a really important piece. You, you've definitely hit on a huge topic for me because that's part of the reason why I do this because I've always been this person who believes in being a jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. You know, okay. I, I really do believe that the more you know is not a hindrance. It's yeah. only a helps you pull tools. You know, it's just all different tools from the toolbox that apply in areas you never thought possible or wouldn't think it would be useful in that scenario. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, look at it. I'm using this thing that I learned in, you know, my retail job that I never thought I'd use again <laughs> or, or something like that. And there's you're, you're picking on a book. I don't know if you probably read it, but it's Range. Yeah, uh, Epstein. Yep, David Epstein. Yeah. I love his books. Yeah. Uh, Talent Code was one of the first books that I read by him, yes. and he really broke down the the doors for me of understanding how to move. So it's funny you say that. I, I have read Talent Code. I have not read Range. However, it is in my queue. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good. And yes. <laughs> you'll get a lot out of it. I, I got a ton out of that book. It was, it was one of my most impactful books for 2020 because yeah. it's like – it's one of those books when I read it, it was like, if everybody read this book, it would, you know, change the world, so yeah. to speak, you know, the, yeah. and it, it just goes to show that the, the things that are the least intuitive sometimes cause the biggest gains mm-hmm. when it's just, I think the other part of it too, is just interest. Yeah. If someone is interested in learning something, they're going to get a lot more from it For than sure. they're going to get like, if they're just doing it to check a box yeah. and it's hard to, to generate interest. I think, you know, we, at least from a school system perspective, we kind of say everyone has to learn these certain amount of things. But if I had the ability to change how school was run, what I would do is basically test each student and independently track their progress, kind of like how college even does it, where you're able to track the student's progress in different categories. And instead of saying, okay, at this grade, they go up one level. You say at this grade, if they don't test at like a certain standard, they just keep staying, you know, kind of like an RPG character in, <laughs> if you have a board game. So it's like, okay, you're really good at math and then you're just going to excel at math and you're yeah. going to be way above your peers at your certain age group. And then everything else is kind of find gotcha. out its own place, gotcha. you know, yeah. but it's the same thing for movements. You know, you can learn how to do, you know, eventually you'll just figure out like, oh, I'm really good at being strong. So I'm going to be better at weightlifting and, yeah. or I'll be good at like doing like gymnastics, like body sure. weight stuff. Oh, you're right. Because everyone's so body is, is unique and you're right. what your interest is usually kind of where you're, you're good at to some degree. 
Always. Absolutely. So back to kind of what your your focus was, like for MMA was like your first foray in jujitsu. How does that evolved over time for you? Like you are you still I'm assuming compete and train regularly? Yeah, so no more no more MMA. I stopped MMA in 2013, 14, okay. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. And and I've continued jujitsu and I've competed. I don't compete tons. Mm-hmm. I only compete at the bigger meets, the bigger competitions. So the last one I did was, was the World Championships two years mm-hmm. ago. And I, I had an injury last year. So I'm planning on doing, one, doing the World Championships this year. And one of the reasons I do that is, is because it's, it's tough to find. And, you know, I'm already on the the far end of the bell curve yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a bigger guy. And yeah. Right. With bigger guys comes poor athleticism, poor technique and uh, a poor gas tank. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot tougher to find someone who has all three of those mm-hmm. as a 250 pounder than it is to find it as a 170 pounder. Right. And so I've done some of these lower end tournaments in the past and it's just bad. It's just bad. You go to these guys and, and they're like turtles. Once they yeah. their back, they're done, you know? And so I, I don't want to waste. <laughs> and then also, I don't know if you've ever been to a wrestling meet or jiu-jitsu competition, but it's all day, man. And it's just, oh, yeah, it's, it's a full day event. so boring. And you don't, you know, you wait. You just want to, I want to train. Like, let's just roll, whatever. And, you know, so you spend six hours there to get three matches, you know? So yeah. I, I, I tend to try to avoid that. And only do, like, the bigger ones. But yeah, so so I, I still compete, mm-hmm. and there's just something about it, man. And I don't have any data to back this up. But there's just something about like being able to like beat someone else up, and, and and you know from a from a control standpoint, and from a testosterone standpoint, and from a you know I don't really know how else to describe it. It's like a primal thing, right? yeah. And it's just awesome, and and after training for so long and becoming proficient in, in, in any type of combat or, or self-defense or whatever, the way that you walk and the way that you carry yourself is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or judo or boxing or whatever, just the way that you carry. And so it's, it's just a great thing. And it's something mm-hmm. that I, I'd like to be able to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Right. And it's always going to be a, a part of me because it's just, it's just a great, you know, jujitsu specifically is just a great, great piece of, to, to add and it's a great thing to do. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because you know, the, the, the detractors to these movement, like especially fighting, anything yeah. that is fighting mm-hmm. as a whole, people say, if you're going to you do that, you're going to become more aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like saying if you own a gun, you're more aggressive person. Yeah, right. When in reality, it's like, if you learn how to use your body as a weapon mm-hmm. in quotation marks, you're less likely to use that on people who don't see it coming, you're more likely to defuse the situation and be like, man, I don't want to hurt you. Like yeah, just legitimately. Sure. And I, and I think that's one of the things that's really important because it's these people that know how to body works and know that they can win when they need to. It's they're more likely to be even handed about situations yeah. and deescalate the situation. And I, and I think that's a really important thing because most people kind of like we were saying before was like the pressure relief valve. We're so, if you take an average person and the average person's stress meter is like they're driving to work, they sit at their desk all day and they're, you know, maybe they get yelled at by the boss or they're just stuck in meetings all day and they just kind of are stuck in their computer world, right? Whatever it is. Yeah. And they don't have this physical outlet that is 
to just use jujitsu as the example. Then whatever happens that, you know, they get stressed out at home, mm-hmm. they're going to blow up at people. Yeah, you know, they're going to have road right. rage and they're going to have these, you know, anger issues, probably anxiety or depression. I mean, I, that's totally generalizing, but yeah, in reality, yeah. that's usually kind of the cause. And because it's like they don't have a, an outlet for their own mm-hmm. aggression and, yeah. you know, place in life or even a, a lack of control. And when you have this ability to put yourself, you know, one on one with another human being, mm-hmm. And you have a mastery of your body mm-hmm. and a mastery of then another human being. <laughs> and, and, you're, you're just, and no one gets hurt at the end, too, which yeah, I think is really important. For sure. You know, it's just you you versus another person. And at the end of it, you're hugging and say, good, good <laughs> session, <Yeah>. my head. <laughs> That's so true. You know, some of my best friends, I'm talking like all, a lot of my best friends are guys that I came up training with. Right. Because right? when you... When you share the the sweat and the blood and the punches to the face, like it is impossible to not become best friends with that person. Mm-hmm. It, it really is, and so I completely agree with you. It's uh, there's so many benefits to it. And again, it doesn't have to be jujitsu, right? I just use it as an example. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You see the benefit from anything, you know, wrestling too. You know, it, there's so many things that those sports bring to the table. Yeah, that it's it's unbelievable to me that that people wouldn't have their you know, would one disagree with doing it or would, would not want their kids to do it or yeah. just across the board. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. I mean, I guess for me, the only one I would caution against is anything punching to the head. Yeah, Any, for sure. Anything for to sure. the head with CTE. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I'm done with that too. You know, not even the CTE part, but it's just, it's just not that awesome to get punched in the head. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if that was kind of like a reason for it is because CTE wasn't really known no, too much. No, it, it wasn't that. And, and so I... The way that I fought, I was a, I was a counter fighter and I okay. was a ground fighter. So, thankfully, I, I think I had one concussion in, in my entire career. Wow, that's pretty good. It wasn't even that bad. It was borderline concussion. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't get hit a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't that. It had nothing to do with that. Really, what came what it came down to was I, I kind of reached my ceiling. Um, Got it. You know, at, at my peak, I was ranked, I think, 40th or so in the world. And I, and I had trained with a lot of guys who were top five, top ten. Mm-hmm. And I knew what my shortcomings were. You know, I was a smaller heavyweight. I wasn't terribly tall. I didn't have, you know, the large majority of these guys who, who are at a high level in the UFC, especially at heavyweight, are elite, elite wrestlers. Yeah. You know, guys that are Olympic team or national champions or what, you know, Curtis Blades uh, is, is a number three or number two in the UFC right now. And, and we've trained a few times. And I remember rolling with him back in the day when he was still green. And we kind of go 50-50, but I'm like, man, like, I'm like, I should be way better than this dude right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he is just a giant. He was a national champion, uh, yeah. junior college wrestler, and and he's just long, and he's 6'5", and he's oh, wow. cutting to, you know, 280, or maybe not quite that much, probably 285, cutting to 265, and, you know, and this guy is just so strong, and he's big, and he's, he's got that, his ceiling, you know, and I firmly believe and. We had the same manager at the time. I remember texting him, and I told him something along with his ceiling is is UFC champion, right? Yeah. And and so far, it's kind of come to fruition. I mean, he's super close to that, you know. Yeah. And so his ceiling, when you look at that, is is UFC champion. My ceiling was top twenty. Yeah. And you know what guys in the UFC who are top twenty make? They make eighty thousand dollars a year and no benefits and nothing to speak of when they retire. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So so I got to that point where I the risk versus reward wasn't yeah, there. You know, Mike Russo was a guy who was a top five heavyweight and and we train, you know, he was my main training partner for, for four years or so. Great guy. And, and you know, he, we would, he'd beat my ass when we first started and then I got to the point where I could hang with him and I would do all right. But, but still, man, like 
he was an elite national level wrestler mm-hmm. in college. And so I, I basically got to this point where I was getting a little older. I was maybe 28 or so. Yeah. And I, I put myself in position. I had some great experience and I won a lot more than I lost. I had mm-hmm. two losses in my entire career, but my last, you know, two of my last three or my last two, I think were losses where I kind of got to that point where like, Hey, like, I'm losing split decisions. I'm losing close decisions to dudes who are, you know, right there as well. But but I go up the ladder and I'm going to put all this work in and I'm probably not going to get the reward. And yeah. I'm being realistic, right? Because there's a certain point where if I'm not tall enough or I'm not big enough. Or if I, I can't. You have the reassurance. Of- you know, there, there are a lot of pieces there that, you know, are a little bit, you know, size and genetic dependent. Right. And I just didn't feel that I had the time to put into becoming that good of a wrestler, right? Yeah. And becoming that good of a striker or whatever. And, and I trained hard and I had great coaching and so on and so forth. But, you know, you get to that point where like, hey, like maybe I should start laying some roots for the rest of yeah. my life. I read a great article, it must have been Sports <coughs> Illustrated, by this hockey player. And he played at Boston College or Boston University. I can't remember. And the year that he played, he was second for the Hobie Baker Award, which is the the Heisman for college. Okay, the, cool. You know, the NCAA uh, hockey Heisman. He was second. He got drafted to the Boston Bruins. Super good hockey player. Mm-hmm. He gets there, and he says, I get in the weight room for the first day, and Chara, and it's now Chara, he's a 6'7", uh, Bruin, right, giant guy, walks in a Speedo and reps out 30 pull-ups. And he oh, says, my gosh. And I realized right then and there I wasn't ready for the NHL, right? So, so this guy, you know, he toils a few years, I think, in the AHL, and then he went overseas, and he just, he said he just kept trying, kept trying. He got to a certain point, you know, he's same thing. He's 26, 27, 28. And there were guys who were in these minor leagues who were 35, and they were still trying to make it, right? Wow. And they were always going to be good enough to play in the minors, but – if you haven't made it to the majors by 35, you're probably not going to Right, it. yeah. And he said, I didn't want to be like that. You know, I didn't want to be that guy who was like, you know, my dream's going to... Because at a certain point, if it hasn't happened, it's not going to happen. That's just the reality. Yeah. And so he was smart and he, you know, he enjoyed his time in hockey and then he did something else. I can't remember what he ended up doing, but my point is I kind of reached that. And, yeah. And I, I was like, okay, this is pretty close to my ceiling. My ceiling is a little bit higher if I keep training, but I'm certain... Sadly, that I'm not going to be number one in the world. Right. Right. And if I'm not going to be able to be number one in the world, unfortunately, in this sport, that means I'm not going to have a career. Yeah. Right. If I'm number 40 or 20 in the world in the NFL, I'm going to make $20 million or $10 million a year. No problem. Right? <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> Realistically, if you're number 20 in the world in almost anything, you're going to be fine. Right. In MMA, it doesn't really work like that. Especially not then. Especially not then. <laughs> so so that was that was a big piece. And, and I'm, I'm certainly grateful. I had some of the best experience. I've made some of the best friends. Yeah. I traveled, you know, almost, you know, all over the world. And, and it was it was awesome. And it was a great experience. But I was also realistic. Hey, like I can take a lot of the stuff that I learned. Yeah. And I can apply it to something else. Yeah. You know, so. I, I think that's, I mean, it gives you a unique perspective yeah. as, as a person who is into the ground floor of MMA to be yeah. a coach for those people that who maybe want to be into it now because for you're sure. going to get those 20 something year olds that are going to want be like, yeah, I want to be an MMA fighter now, which it was unheard of back then. Yeah. And, and I just think for you, it's, it's shows a certain level of 
mental um, resiliency to to not wrap your identity into being an MMA fighter. Because there's a lot of people, when they pick a thing, you know, that's all they are. Yeah. And I mean, to some degree, you do have to be that too, because you're not going to be the best in the world unless you you commit to it 110%. But I, I think it shows a certain level where you can actually distance yourself and be like, okay, let's look at this with with objectivity lens and, sure. and say, okay, can I really be number one here? Yeah, and, you have to, you know, but you're right. A lot of people did it. I'll, I'll never forget. I had a fight in Nashville, Tennessee for uh, an organization called the XFC. And it was, it was a pretty big organization at that time. And I was the co-main event cool. and I fought a guy named, I can't remember. I can see his face. Scott something, I think. Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett. So I fought this guy, Scott Barrett, and we were on the we were the co-main event, mm-hmm. and this was live on national TV. It was a big deal. Well, I was talking to the owner of the XFC about three or four days prior when we were on in Nashville, and he told me that he had called one of the guys uh, who was on the card and told him he was going to be a swing bout. And so the way that these fights work, some of you may not know. Normally in the UFC and Strike Force and XFC, all these, they have four or five televised or pay-per-view mm-hmm. fights. And they have a swing bout. And the way that swing bout works is if these fights are going really slow, that swing bout will be at the very end, right? If they're going really fast, a lot of knockouts, they're going to need some filler. Yeah. So that swing bout will kind of go, right, just based off of the timing. Got it. So called and told this guy, hey, you're, you're – Probably going to be on TV, maybe going to be on TV, because the swing bouts, if it's injected, it's going to be on TV. If it's at the very end, it won't be, right? Mm-hmm. So he tells this guy, so basically, that maybe it'll be on TV, maybe it won't. And he's like, awesome, like, I'm going to quit my job, you know, like, oh, wow. and he's like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, you haven't made it yet. It's just one TV, you know, yeah. and and so you're right. And, and and I heard that. I remember him telling me that, like, man, like, I want to sit down with this kid and talk to him. Like, dude, talk about the edge a little bit. <laughs> you know, you need to focus on a lot more. There's a lot more out there, mm-hmm. and, and it's a, it's a nice it's nice to be that. It's nice to be good at fighting, and it's nice to be on TV and blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. there are some other things that you should. You know, yeah, as like a athlete or anyone who does physical stuff, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a time limit. You know, yeah. like you're not always going to be able to compete in your sport of your choosing, even if you're good. You know, so you kind of have to like think about skill acquisition outside of it. And so for you, what was that like? Like just what were you interested in outside of just physical movement? You like, know, I one of the things that I loved about this podcast is is I always tell people that I'm infinitely curious. Yeah. And, and it's true. I am. And I really appreciate other people who are infinitely curious as well because it's it's rare. So my grandfather, when I was younger, would always stress his whole thing was daily learning and self improvement. That's right? so cool. <laughs> hey, he was he was a doctor. He's a very wise man, and you know he's always like, "What?" He would ask me, "What did you learn today?" And, I, and back then, I was twelve or thirteen. I'm like, well, "This is kind of stupid." Like, I don't know. You know right. Like, and I look back, I'm like, "Man, like he was really smart, dude." <laughs> So I, you know, there are a lot of things that I that I like, and, and a lot of things that I've 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 tried to learn and improve on. Um, 
even before and during the MMA piece, you know, in addition to the, the strength conditioning and the research, you know, I've worked on research projects. In fact, we have one coming out on, on hockey now soon on the top 68, 14 year olds in the country for hockey. You know, I've learned how to code. I've, I've done some oh, cool. stuff with various cryptocurrencies back in, back, back then in the craze and with a buddy of mine who's also a coder. And so those are, those are some things that really interest me. I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset where mm-hmm. I tend to like to do a lot of different things, right? You, you mentioned it before, jack of all trades, you know, master of some, I like to say. Yeah, there you go. Done, you, yeah. know, you, know, you can still get really good at a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're really like just, again, just infinite curiosity. You know, I, I really appreciate learning new things and getting better at them. Mm-hmm. And, and then from there, if there's a, a way to monetize them, then... Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> that, that's the goal, right? Yeah. I, I think... I think you're hitting on something really interesting in in today's world because there's a lot of information out there, right? Like we have the internet and you have all the, all the sum total of information available at our fingertips quite literally. But the the problem is, is finding the, the good information. Yeah. So how do you go about finding what's worth your time to ingest? Well, I, I think I certainly start by staying away from Buzzfeed or thought catalog, right? I mean, so, but, but really it comes down to, what am I trying to answer? And is there data to back it up? Yeah. And, and I think so few people that I'm certain so few people do that. Right. Yeah. And so I'll give you one example and this is, you know, there are a lot of things and we'll use research. And so like, I like to drink monsters, mm-hmm. right. And there's tons of data on them. Yeah. Right. Red Bull and monsters, same thing. So when you look at, when you look at the data on them and they've, they've compared it to, to water, to caffeine pills, to black coffee, to, to Red Bull and then sugar-free Red Bull. Right. Yeah. And I'll be holding it and I'll have parents or kids be like, well, that's bad for you. And so I asked them like, well, why do you say that? Well, I just know it's bad for you. I'm like, okay, yeah. like why? <laughs> you know, well, my mom told me, or, or it, it is a mom. Those are really bad for you. Like, okay, but why? When you look at the data, it's actually fine. The only things that are, the only ones that are bad are the, the ones with sugar. The ones that affect your blood pressure and your heart rate and all that guess what? They're the sugar full ones, not the sugar free ones. Right. And then when we talk about drinking, you know, 500 milligrams of caffeine, is kind of like that, you know, you're pushing it a little yes. bit, right? So as long as you stay underneath that, you're fine. Yeah. So I think that's where a big piece, I think a lot of people have this, well, my grandma told me this, or my dad told me this, or my mom told me this, or I heard this on the radio. Yeah. Whatever, someone they trust. Bad, right. Yeah. And because they trust them, they think that they take that as fact, right? Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in, like, let's find out what it actually says. And I mm-hmm. understand that scientific research is not always completely right. Right, right? it's not true. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's probably a lot better than the opinion you got when you were at the mall and your aunt said something, yeah. you know? Or the guy so, at GNC. <laughs> right? So, so I think that's really it, is if it's something that really affects my life, right, or something that can, can make me better or could possibly make me, make me worse, mm-hmm. Like, let's get on, let's get on Google Scholar, right? Yeah. Or let's get on PubMed and let's see if there's yep. something out there that we can maybe figure out. And are there competing viewpoints, right? Are there other things? And I think that's another piece too, is do I have an open mind enough to be wrong? Yes. Right. And I have to be. I think that's huge. Not, and I, you know, I tell my athletes that all the time. You ask me why we do something. I, I really try to bring it back because I don't want my athletes to do things just because I tell them to. Yeah. I want them to do things and understand why and buy in to why we do them because I tell them, right? So if I say you have to do this exercise and they're like, well, why? If I don't have an answer for you, you don't have to do that. Yeah. I tell them that all the time, right? 
But if I can say, well, if you do this, then this tends to happen. And by this tending to happen, you can jump higher, you know, whatever. Right, yeah. you know, use examples, you know, you watch Lamar Jackson, you know, he does this. This is what he does to get better at that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I can show them those things, right. And we do certain exercises and certain drills and they get better at it. And I can show them in real time that this is going to affect your performance this way. Not only are they going to do it, but they're going to be a lot more bought into it than if I just say, well, cause I said so. Right. You know, so I think that's really what it comes down to is I want to have something to back up all of my decisions, mm-hmm. all of my reasoning. I, I think that's a really important way of putting it because I tend to look at good coaching or teaching as, as a way of like laying a breadcrumb trail for the student. Yeah. Like you should, you should be explaining something to the student, but they shouldn't need you to hold their hand you want through the process. Ownership. Yeah, they should be able to look at that and be like, oh my God, that's why this works. And then they can take it from, because that's the best teachers that I've had are the ones that do that for me. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're talking about a lecture and then my brain is going three, four steps down the road. And I'm like, then I'm in it, you know, then I'm really in it. That's so true. (laughs) And then you get, you can see that light go off of it behind someone's eyes and it's like, oh, they got it. Don't need to worry about him anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that, that makes so much sense. And, And you're right. Once they, once they understand it and once they get it, a little bit selfishly, it's another nice piece to it is you don't have to explain it to them again because yeah. they really believe in it. Well, they're going right? to be advocates for you then. Correct. Correct. <laughs> that, that's really cool. I, I think, you know, just going back to like the looking for negative viewpoints is such a huge thing. Yeah. And that's why I do podcasting as a format in, in its own right because – there's no such thing as like a five minute soundbite mm-hmm. unless you just want to be campy about it. Yeah. You know, and it, a lot of this kind of is within the fitness world with diets. And I, and I like to make, you know, it's, it's a almost religious version of diets now is how it's, it's kind of, it's insane. And then just how people react to it. I, I think of it as like the diet wars. If I'm yeah. going to be like, sell it, right. because everyone absolutely. just kind of picks a, their favorite flavor. And it's yeah. not that they like, Maybe they do know the science of it, but they latch on another aspect of it that makes it – it's a feeling-based yeah. – like they're helping the environment. They're – or this helped them through like some sort of autoimmune disorder that yeah. they couldn't eat anything before they tried this diet, you know, and which is fine. Like I, th- I totally think like whatever diet works best for you, you should go and do that, but you shouldn't put it on other people to yeah. say to say you should be eating this way. You should say this works for me and then maybe you could try it. I'm not going to like be angry at you for, for not committing to it. Well, and that's, you're, you're absolutely right because at the end of the day, the, the best diet out there is the one that works best for you and your schedule. And yeah. The one that you're going to adhere to. Right. Right. I mean, at the end of the day. And, so, and if you're not eating sad, you know, the standard <laughs> yeah. American diet, which yeah, is the best is, acronym ever. Yeah, that is good. I actually want to ask you a quick question about that since you've been part of weightlifting and working out. So when I first started working out, I was like three, four months into it. And I made sure not to go super heavy in a diet. Like I knew general guidelines of bodybuilding diet, you know, the broccoli chicken, brown rice, that whole thing that everybody kind of knows about after like getting into it. But my dad, I came home one day from school and my dad, he's like, Hey, I got to tell you something. And he's a little bit more serious than usual. I was like, huh, what's going on? And he's like, I'm, I'm type two diabetic. And I was like, Whoa, I'm like, there's another nail in the coffin for why I should have been working out. I was basically mimicking my dad's diet, you know, eating pop or drinking pop, drinking, you know, or eating pizzas, frozen pizzas, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, there, there's the warning sign on the wall. Like, you know, if I would have kept down that path that that was right there for me too. Like I was drinking six cans a day, like crazy. Like it was almost like a thousand something calories just in sugar. 
and I wasn't like overweight or obese or anything like that, but I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't I thin, sure. you know, I wasn't thin though. I still had like a, a, a little bit of fluff around it. And, but then he gave me the pamphlet that the doctor had given me or given him and was like, Hey, here's what the things I got to eat. And I like, it had slapped me across the head and I was like, what is going on here? Because here's what a diabetic is supposed to eat. And I knew what bodybuilder is supposed to eat. Yeah. The only difference is the amount of carbs that someone yeah. can eat. And I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm like, why are we not just following this guideline already <laughs> anyways? Because then we can avoid this whole yeah, scenario sure. that costs how much in metformin bills and yeah. regular blood checkups, uh, like however, you know, blood measuring blood glucose and things yeah. like that. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And so I've been trying to figure out ways to kind of make this approachable to people to kind of <laughs> Because it's such a cultural-based thing, which is I, a problem. Correct. There's there's a big culture piece there, without a doubt. You know, I, I really, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Like, do you recommend anything for your athletes and like what they pay attention Food-wise, to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so one of the big things that I, especially with my my younger athletes, right, high school and down, mm-hmm. is we don't focus. Again, we talked about outcome versus habit based. Yeah, we don't focus about outcome, right? Right. Our goal is let's make sure the habits that we use are the right habits. So I give all of them a sheet, right? And I'll have some some just very basic guidelines for weight gain and very okay. basic what, get guidelines for uh, for weight loss, right? Depending on what their goals are. And then from there, we'll do like a, a gold, silver, and bronze. So cool. gold choices for protein would be grilled chicken and lean steak and eggs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then, the, the, you know, all the way down to the bronze would be, you know, bacon, right? Got it. Whatever. And then same thing for, for the carbs. Gold would be brown rice and quinoa and oatmeal yep. and, and all green veggies and so on and so forth. And then bronze would be cookies. Right. So basically the premise is, hey, 90% of the time I want you to eat from the gold menu. When you're with your friends or if it's a planned whatever, if it's a planned party, if it's your birthday party, if it's New Year's, whatever, you can eat from the bronze. Yeah. The large majority of the food that you eat is supposed to be gold. And the cool thing about that, especially with high school athletes or middle school athletes, even college athletes, is they are – working out and moving tons. They're walking to class, they're playing their sports, they're lifting, they're doing other other work, etc. So it's really hard to overeat uh, nutrient-dense food. Yeah. Right. So when you look at that, we're talking, if I have to eat 2,500 calories a day, 2,500 calories of chicken breast, broccoli, and rice is ends up being like two and a half pounds of chicken and like five cups of rice and like eight cups of broccoli, right? <laughs> it might be a little bit more, but it's right around there. Like. That's really hard to eat. Yeah. 2,500 calories of McDonald's is one value meal. Yeah. Which just about anyone can put down in one standing, right? So when you think about that, right, all we need to do is start changing into more nutrient-dense food and less calorie-dense food. Cool. And if we can do that, that's where the big rocks come. Now, if we, for whatever reason, you eat way too much, then we can start dialing it down if that's a big issue. But that kind of fixes the problem for like yeah. 90% of them, right? Yeah. And then the rest, that smaller percentage, we start playing around a little bit more with macros or we start playing around a little more like we'll write down four days, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I had a figure skater who had an issue. She was maintaining weight. She needed to drop a little bit of body fat, very little. Mm-hmm. But write down what you're eating. And everything she had told me up until that point was pretty good. You know, they eat really well. They're, you know, she's having chemo cells and she's having this, blah, blah, blah. So she writes everything down and I go through it. I'm like reading it. And the only thing I see is she's eating, she's eating ribs every single day. Right. Well, every like day. Four day, plus four days, that was like her meat. Right. And she just didn't know. She just didn't know. Like we can eat 
the same amount of chicken and have the same amount of protein and drop like 200 calories worth of fat yep. every single time. Well, guess what? When you're 100 pounds, 200 calories is a giant decrease, right? A giant decrease. So when you look at that, that's all we need to do. Done. You yeah. know? So like those little things where you start seeing that with, with people, very rarely will I see something like that. But more it's like, you know, I had a girl come in one time and her mom's adamant that her daughter is eating perfectly. She's adamant. She's she's not dropping body fat. Look, for the most part, like the cool thing about this is the feedback's very, very objective. Like you say you're eating well and you're not dropping weight. So like just write down what you're eating for the next four days. Her mom's still fighting me on this. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, she really, she has quinoa salad, she eats chicken, like, I'm sure, like, I'm sure that's fine. Just write it down. And she's still fighting me, like, she wants to be, something's wrong, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, all right, fine. Like, what'd you eat this morning? Well, she had a smoothie. What kind of smoothie? Well, it was one of those Jamba Juice packets, and then we added orange juice, and then we added berries, right? So you're taking in 100 grams of sugar literally at the beginning of the morning. I'm like, hold on. She's like, wait, that's not good. Like, the mom, right? Right. No, it's like, I don't know if there's anything worse that you can eat, right? I mean, like, maybe a few things, but like, you're, you're getting close to the worst thing that you can eat. You might as well just give and, her pop. <laughs> right. And like four pop. Like, yeah. So, so again, that's, I think, the biggest thing is, yeah. is it's more of an education piece where mm-hmm. the large majority of people either, they don't necessarily see that long down the road, right? They yeah. don't think to themselves, well, these Skittles that I eat every day or this... You know, the, it's a reverse consistency, day. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's not going to really, it's not going to affect me, and it's fine right now. It's that short term versus long term game. Yep, uh, that's one piece in it, and then the next big piece is just an education thing. A lot of people, everyone knows that a Snicker bar is bad, right? right? But not a lot of people know that a Jamba Juice smoothie is bad for you, right? And and like you and I, we know that it's obvious. And in fact, we're like, well, because we've be done the homework, eat, though, it might be better to eat the Snickers bar, to be honest, right? But but that's what we know. That's what the large majority of normal people don't know. Because you're right, we've done the homework. And so I think that's really what everyone knows. McDonald's bad. Everyone yeah. knows cookies are bad. Every, but but those those things that you're like, well, I think this is it should be healthy, me. right? It should be healthy. Or sometimes, a lot of times, it's marketed as being healthy. Right. So again, we're trusting this company that's trying to make money off of me to be right. That that's a problem as well. But so I think really a lot of it is just education, mm-hmm. and and there there are some big rocks there in terms of education that I think would solve a significant percentage of of the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind I, of where I, I think with that. What you said there it was really good was like having the scale from, you know, gold to bronze. Yeah. I think that's really, really good and kind of framing it in a way that it's not like you can't eat this. Correct. Because a lot of times when people get a diet, they say, no, I can't eat this. Yes. And what the problem is that puts a negative pressure on that person. It's like, I'm losing out on this thing that I really enjoy and I can't yeah. have that. And one of the people that I had on this podcast, she was an Olympian, Nicole Davis. She she was a, a self a vegetarian, okay. and she has little nieces and nephews. And they're like, "Can you eat this?" Like just messing with her. Yeah. And she's like, "No, I can't eat this, but I choose or is I choose not to. Gotcha. It's not that I can't. For I choose sure. not to. Yeah. So you, you put the control in your core. Yeah, that's really good. Which is a really good way of, sure. of sticking to those things. Yeah. And another big sticking point for me is is supplementation. Mm-hmm. I went down the rabbit hole of supplementation and I, you know, had a fridge full of all of the different things that I could ever imagine. 
And, you know, every single thing I was doing had its own separate container from protein to, to BCAs to all of that. And I was like, at one point I kind of tallied up my monthly expenses because it was ridiculous. It was like $220 or something over like two months or something. It's like insane. I was just like, what am I doing? I'm like, wow, this is the best industry ever to be in (laughs) because everything costs $30 and and you got to be buying it every month to, to, you know, be on top of it. What is your thought on something? I'm an anti-supplement guy. Um, now I think everyone should have a protein powder. I think protein powder goes a long way, right? Mm-hmm. Just it's easy and it's good for you. It's I think protein powder is great. I have nothing against creatine. I think caffeine is awesome, right? The stuff mm-hmm. that's been studied for twenty years, I think they're great. Mm-hmm. But when you start adding in like BCAAs, for example, like those have been proven to not really help at all. Yeah, they're right? still like There's gray zone. That, yeah, you know so multivitamins some studies actually say they might be a little bit worse for you than not taking them but there's no study out there that's like you should definitely take tons of multivitamins because your body just doesn't utilize right mm-hmm. so there are tons of supplements out there that I, I completely disagree with and, and there are a lot out there there have been a lot of lawsuits where these companies will take these these uh, supplements and they'll put them out in the market for the first six months with some testosterone precursor or steroid in it right and then everyone's great results like I took this thing for six months, six weeks, and I gained 15 pounds of muscle and blah, blah, blah. And then they pull it, right? And they pull that piece, and then now they're selling this crappy supplement that's not really working. And they already have that marketing hype and that buzz, and they sell for another year and a half. And they get a lawsuit. They they pay $4 million, but they made $100, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. You know, I think there's a lot of that, too. I I, I know there's a lot of that, right, because we see it. Yeah, especially so being in the professional thing. sports business too. Correct. You hear about people who you take know? tainted stuff. Yeah, and, and so so from there, yeah, you're right. So that's a thing. But really, I think the most important most important thing that it comes down to is like if we're talking about high performance or just regular weight loss and everything in between, the three big pieces are nutrition, hydration, and rest. So number one is my nutrition right. Most people can't say that. Number yes. two is my hydration right. Most people can't say that. Number three is my sleep right. Most people can't say that. So if I can't say yes to all three of those, I have no business taking supplements. That's mm-hmm. my personal thing. So I'm just wasting my money, right? Right. Because those are three, for the most part, free things, right? And and not only that, like when you look at sleep, the data on sleep, when you, I think I'm going to have to look it up, but I believe it was 15, 18, and 20 or something like that. But if you get, it was seven hours, I want to say, versus five hours. So if you get five hours of sleep versus seven hours of sleep, if you start getting that seven hours of sleep, the increase in testosterone was 15%. The wow. increase in cortisol was 20%. And the increase in growth hormone was like 13%. I, those num- I know they were around 15% right. percent My point is like Substantial. those numbers <laughs> right there are better than steroids, mm-hmm. right? If you're taking a regular dose of testosterone and growth hormone, those numbers still beat Yep. So if you're telling me that you want to go buy, you know, animal pack or animal stack or yeah. whatever, but you're not getting seven hours of sleep. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You're shooting yourself <laughs> in the foot, man. You're, you're stepping over $100 bills to pick up dimes. Yeah. You know? And and that, I think, is the biggest thing. Is Now, once you get that stuff, right, now we're starting to talk about, like, elite athlete territory. Yep. What are some other things? Like, now we're like... Okay, maybe there's a vitamin D deficiency. That's a big one, right? Maybe I'm taking zinc- that now. Yeah, it's, it's zinc- huge for the winter time. I yeah. I couldn't believe it. There's a zinc and magnesium deficiency. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are things like I'm all in for, man. Yeah. But again, if we're not getting the big rocks, then you have no business doing the other stuff. Yeah, I it's it's a huge one for me. You know, like I showed you before we started recording, yeah. my, my Whoop and 
aura ring. Both of these track my sleep, and it's huge for me. I, I, I'm super bullish on talking about this stuff to get it right because yeah. if you can get your recovery right as a big bucket, for sure, because that's what you're basically talking about. It's you can you'll have more in your gas tank to put in other areas of your right. life, and when that's not when you're underperforming in those areas, yeah. it shows. It really does show. And a lot of times we're over-assuming mm-hmm. how much we do sleep. And that's what I was doing for sure. Like I was thinking yeah. I was getting like seven hours, seven and a half hours of sleep when I, in reality I was getting maybe six. And then, you know, it's like a get to the motivation thing. <laughs> like when I was really in it, I had like an awesome bedtime routine. Yeah. And then that started slipping because of holidays or whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping at one, you know, and then I'm looking at my it's, thing and I'm like, oh shit, there it goes. <laughs> it's really funny you say that because the research says that we tend to overestimate the good stuff mm-hmm. and underestimate the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was something I was a great company called Precision Nutrition. Yep, I've heard of them. Okay, so I want to take their nutrition course. Yeah, got, I don't know where it is. Somewhere I have a book here. But yeah, so they talk about there was there was a research study, and when when people estimate their green vegetable consumption, it was something like three servings more than it actually was. And then on the flip side, when they estimate their their French fry and cookie consumption, it was like two or three servings less than what it actually was. And and it's not; it's just a selective memory, man. I mean, yeah. like we just don't, you know, we just don't know. We just think that oh, we put a blinder on. We're doing great, right? And the bad stuff, well, it wasn't too much, you know. So so again, like those are so important. I've got athletes who come in, you know, like cryotherapy is the big thing now. Yeah, and just this pretty, temperature therapy across yeah, the board, it's, hot it's ankle, pretty pretty inconclusive, you know, and. But again, like, I think a lot of times they like doing it because, well, I saw it on Instagram or like this athlete did it or, or whatever. Yeah. But like people forget, like when we talk about in decent season this year, but he's one of the best of all that, like Tom Brady. Like yep. nobody talks about Tom Brady's cryotherapy or this or that. What they talk about is Tom Brady goes to bed at 9 p.m. every night, right? I just saw a great piece. Uh, LeBron James was talking about how over the course of his career, he realized that nothing takes the place of sleep. Yep. He has tried everything else. He's done massages and he's done acupuncture. He's done blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying any of that stuff doesn't work, man. Yeah. What I'm saying is that the 1% or 2% benefit that you're going to get from massage or acupuncture is not outweighing the 20% performance benefit that you're getting from sleep. Yeah. And when you look at it like that, it's so common sense. You're like, man, but at the same time, I've got 18-year-old and 17-year-old kids who are going to go play Division One football, but they play Fortnite until 4 a.m., right? Yeah, and then the blue light on top of that, right, all that right? extra stuff. Yeah, so so again, <laughs> it's just like the end of the day, like, yeah, I don't like going to bed at 9 p.m. I try to go to bed at 10 p.m., you know, but like if you really want to perform at a high level, specifically athletically, and even not even athletically, even in your office, in the workplace, yeah. right? If you want to do that, like, you should sleep more. Yeah. And the data is so conclusive. I like, I don't know if we talked about scientific research yeah. not being true. Why we sleep? This the book? is like the only thing that is true. You yeah. know, I mean, like there's no, there's nothing out there. That's yeah. like, well, you don't need to sleep that much. The only, per- the only people that don't need to sleep that much. And I can't remember. You might know what I'm talking about. It's a specific gene, yeah. Mutation, right? Like yeah. Elon Musk, I think. Has yeah. It, they, right? they, well, they think he has it. Yeah, they think he has it. Correct, right? And, and that's where they can get by on very. And they're saying now that that's even inconclusive. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> but my, but you understand my point, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that was like one in however many people, hundred thousand yeah, or more, it was something ludicrous. So again, <laughs> like 
if you want to do something better, like you find the time to sleep a little more. Yeah. Right. And I think there's, there's it's a change in the paradigm. It is. Very much so. It really is. You know, it, it goes, really it goes completely against that grinding mentality of like the, yes. the early 2000 entrepreneur types where it's like, you know, the Gary V's are like yeah. grind, grind, grind all day, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, like we need to chill out a little bit. Like, you know, I get really big on like mindfulness and like breathing work. I don't know if you've entered into the breathing work space a little bit yet. A little bit, not tons. It's kind of new. It's like still part of the, like kind of with that temperature therapy stuff. But I've been doing stuff like that where I try to just force myself to nasal breathe on the treadmill, like right at that speed that's kind of too hard to like where I want to mouth breathe gotcha. where I'm trying to get CO2 tolerant basically gotcha. and I try to push myself right at that very li- limit and then just nose breathe th- through that and then gotcha. over time that helps you basically work on biomechanics within your body so then gotcha. you can you can take that to weightlifting and breathe better gotcha. while doing like heavy squats or something I've actually always done that <laughs> there's a reason I do it and I'm not and it's it's different the reason I do it is because when I'm training I force myself to nose breathe because if my mouth's open, my opponent is going to know that I'm tired and I don't want that to happen. Right. So there's a psychological piece there for me. Yeah. You have a different layer on top of that. That's good. Uh, I like that. But I I did not know. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like those people who now, use yeah. the, the, the mask, the altitude yes. training mask. Yes, but, which are complete bullshit. Well, it's like, it's like, why would you force yourself to put on a mask when you can just use your nose yes. already? Because your nose is there to there's, humidify the air yeah. and it takes out more... I'm unsure where this a, a popular kickboxing coach would do that. He would, he would have his his students put water in their mouth. Oh, interesting. So they couldn't and, force themselves. Correct. Well, well, the deal was water in their mouth, and they would go around of whatever they were doing, mm-hmm. and then he wanted to see the water That's after nuts. that round, <laughs> and that was forcing them to breathe with their nose. And I remember that as well. That was another thing. So, yeah, that it's funny how some of this like stuff comes up, but it's been done for a long time right it's, yeah smaller pockets of you know society or smaller pockets of just specific uh, sports and yes. stuff so getting back to sleep one one really quick thing or two yeah. really quick things that we were talking about are really interesting to me there was a study done on basketball players nba players mm-hmm. what they did was they looked at athletes who were playing the next day from the night before they looked at their social media accounts and they looked at anyone who posted past 11 p.m., right? So it's not an exact science, but it's pretty solid, right? Yeah. So they looked at, you know, if so-and-so was was posting past 11 p.m., and they marked it down versus the ones who weren't. And they found a significant, statistically significant difference in performance from the ones who are on their phones after 11 p.m. Whoa. The next day in performance, right? We're talking points per game and rebounds yeah. versus the ones who weren't. So again, we're talking about how important sleep is, and when you're talking, and I think it was a three percent decrease or a four percent decrease, but yeah, but three percent decrease in performance in the NBA is that's unbelievable. MB, that's MVP, huge. like not, that's missing MVP by two points or something. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it really is. I mean, that's how many games are decided by three points, right? Right, two points, and 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 so so my point is like that was a really interesting thing. And, Another thing that they've started learning, I can't remember where, I, I think this was the NBA uh, strength coach conference I went to. We're talking about what used to happen in the past was they would play a game. So let's say you're the Warriors. So you're on the West Coast and you play against the Knicks on, on the East Coast. What would happen in the past is they would finish the games at 10, 30, 11 p.m. They'd get on a flight and they would fly back. They'd yep. get back to, to L.A. or sorry, where are they? 
Oakland, right? Yeah. They get back to Oakland at whatever it might be, 4 a.m., I'm not sure, and then they would go to sleep. What they do now is as soon as they finish with their game, they go to the hotel, sleep, and then they wake up at 6 a.m. or whatever, and then they go. Then the fly back. Found is like that's a lot better for the circadian rhythms, which makes sense. Because yeah. That way you're not sleeping through the day because there's a lot of data on people. In essence, what you're doing there is it's a night shift. You're working yeah. a night shift, right? <laughs> and we all know like working the night shift is really and tough. not to mention planes too, Correct. like all that the planes as well, that right? atmosphere so, you're in and whatnot. Yeah. So so that's what they're doing now because there's been enough data on sleep to say that hey, we're going to get a better performance and better recovery out of our players if we go to a hotel right now and get them to sleep and then have them wake up a little earlier than they'd like. But guess what? That's a lot better than having them get on a plane, fly through the night, get home at 6 a.m. and then sleep. Yeah. So that, my point is, like, as we start seeing this more and more, like, that's how important it is that NBA teams are literally changing their entire travel schedule. Yeah. Out of oversleep. It, it's a radical shift, it honestly. Is. I think it's kind of, it's mind blowing to even think about one to talk about something as mundane as sleep <laughs> with as much data as we have it now, because it's so important. Like the, the book I read on this was uh, by Matthew Walker, why we sleep. It's okay. fantastic. He, he has a Ted talk. It's, it's called <laughs> sleep is your superpower. Yeah. And it's just, awesome. it just lays out all these different categories of like, if you do this, it has a positive impact. If you don't do this, here's the negative impact. Yeah. And it talks about like people are sleep deprived and you have micro sleeps basically mm-hmm. where what will happen is if you look at the EKG of your brain and you have like standard brain waves. And if you're like sleep deprived, your brain literally shuts down into deep sleep wow. for like a split second and then comes back up to waking and then does it over, over and over again. And if you do that, like what, if you're not sleeping and you're driving your car, going 65 miles an hour, you're, yeah, you're crossing two lanes second, of traffic, right? yeah. you know? And he talks about how like that's a huge problem with with just not sleeping. And then there's like IQ deficiencies. Oh, like if you're, sure. if you're sleeping like six hours or less, you're dropping 20 points in IQ, which is insane, you know? And it's just, it's just the more I talk about it, the more I'm just like, we just need to fix this as a, yeah. as a society. And if we start fixing all this extra stuff, it's, you know, you just let it bubble up. Like you don't need the government to kind of, make <laughs> routines for you just like yeah. if you're focusing on it then the people around you are going to start focusing on it and then you know they're just going to see the, the repercussions of all of it and then the, not to mention it it has repercussions in diet choice yeah because when you're sleep deprived you, you go for the more calorie dense food by like 20 percent or something or 30 percent yeah there's data on that a few different studies i've seen all the way up to 800 extra calories oh my god day, which is ludicrous. that's insane ludicrous. yeah is there anything you do for like like alcohol for older athletes that you work with? Do you um, talk about that stuff? Yeah, I do. Or at least just warn them. You know, so here's what I've learned with elite athletes, right? And this is a little bit different. With elite athletes, the ability to be very black and white in their training, mm-hmm. in their growing period and in their relaxation period is a skill. Yeah. So what I mean by that is I've, Rarely, I and mean, they're, they're out there, right? There aren't tons of elite athletes who are partying, getting hammered during the season. Yeah. And there aren't tons of elite athletes who are partying and getting hammered a month or two prior to the season. Yeah. But in that month or so pocket of off season. season ends before I start training again, that is your opportunity to do everything that you possibly want to do. They're cutting loose hardcore. Hardcore. Yeah. Not only is that a good thing mentally, yeah. 
But it's also a good thing physically, not to get a hammer part, but, <laughs> but taking a break from there. You know, yeah. your body needs a break. Physically. Decompression, basically. Decompression, yeah. right? You're recovering from injuries, sleeping more, blah, 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 being lazy. You know, you just relax a little bit more. There's not as much stress on you and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the deal is when you're ready to relax, relax. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready to turn it on, turn it on. You know, um, that's an interesting thing. You know, that ability to toggle from... You know, switch on to switch yeah. off, I think, is part of the elite athlete's superpower. It is. You know, <laughs> or elite performer, not just a la- yeah, athlete. Without a doubt. And and that's one thing that I've definitely noticed and I've seen. I had one of my athlete's parents played 15, 20 years in the NHL. He's phenomenal mm-hmm. NHL. Won, won multiple uh, Stanley Cups and I was an MVP for a few teams. And he, or, uh, sorry, uh, captain for a few teams, you know, big time mm-hmm. hockey guy. And he was very well known as kind of like the guy who started weightlifting, getting strong in the NHL. He was yeah. one of the first few guys who started doing that. And we would talk, and, and he told me that as soon as he ended the season, so like the average he was a defenseman, right? the average defenseman in the NHL is around 11% body fat. So this guy was around 10, 11% body Man, fat. Man, that's pretty good. Shape, right? He would go in a month. Right, and he might have been exaggerating, but I still don't think he was. It's, it's hard for me to fathom this in a month. But he would go from in a month, as soon as he finished his season, to a month into the off season, he'd go from eleven percent body fat to twenty two percent. So, like, I don't know anyone who's done that, man, and I, I don't have a, a a path for that. But my assumption to that is, and he told me he drank tons of beer, right, which makes sense, and, and probably ate tons of pizza and burger, you know, like, and so like there is nothing healthy about what he did for the next month. But guess what? As soon as he hit that month, right, mm-hmm. he was done. And then he came back for the next three months of the offseason, got back down to 11%, and continued on being a high performer. That's not something I advocate, but at the same time, to a degree, I do, right? Maybe mm-hmm. don't go from 11 to 22%. Maybe go to 15 go or to 15. something. <laughs> yeah. Like, because it's good for you, man. Like, you, your body is going to need that because eventually you're going to break down either physically or mentally. And eventually, you know, you're going to have to, you know, not be able to do that stuff, yeah. you know? So, so it's a really important thing, I think, to, to learn how to have safe periods, right? So mm-hmm. my safe period where there's nothing coming up, nothing, I'm not, I don't have to be ready for anything. Yeah. Like, I can kind of have fun and let loose a little bit. You're going to need that. Yeah. But then when it's time to be ready, like, let's get ready. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big piece, and that was a really interesting thing to hear from him and and I've, I've heard that from others and I've seen that in a lot of my athletes too, you mm-hmm. know, like they'll go, you know, they'll go hard for, for three weeks and they'll go hard, but as soon as it hits and they'll always have a date in their mind, like, well, when it's January 15th or when it's whatever, June 10th, like I'm done. Yeah. And guess what? They're done. Like they're done. They're so, all in, right? <laughs> they're all in. So where do you think that discipline comes from? Honestly, what we were talking about before the off season is going to, or the season is going to start in three months. And I know how long it takes me to get ready. Yeah. Right? So every athlete they take they ownership. talk about, we know, like, we know how long it's going to take for you to be prepared to be at your best mm-hmm. for something, right? So, like, if I told you right now, like, I have a big competition in two weeks, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be ready. Right. I don't care what I do, I'm not going to be ready. Right. But in three months, like, I'm going to be ready. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what it comes down to is, is you've had enough experience in your body in your sport, in your training, to say, well, this is how long it takes me to be in my best physical shape. It doesn't take me four months. It takes me three months. So I have a little three-week period to play around with. And then yeah. once I hit that, 
now I can be prepared. Now I can get it out of my system and I can be prepared. And that doesn't mean they might not go to a party occasionally or whatever, but like for the most part. It's not like, before a game though. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, but they're drinking water at the party, yeah. right? Or they're drinking Diet Coke, whatever. Or they right? limit like, their drinks to like two or something. Correct, <laughs> correct. So, so that's really, I think, what it comes down cool. to is they toggle that switch because they know they have to be prepared. Guess what? Especially if I play in the NFL or the NHL or the NBA or whatever, if I'm not ready, not only am I probably going to get fined, but like I might not make the team. Right. I might lose sponsorship deals. Like, right. You know. So, so I think that then obviously makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. But, but that's really you know again, who's this guy? You might know what I'm talking about. He is in Silicon Valley, Indian dude. It starts with a K, I believe. Um, Naval, Robert? No. No, not Naval. Um, it, it sorry. The TV show Silicon Valley. Oh, TV uh, show. Yeah, Got it. Okay. Silicon I thought Valley. you meant actual Silicon yeah, Valley. Like no. someone who's a startup guy. <laughs> so his name is, I'm looking it up right now. We need a Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, Kamal, Kamal Nanjiani, right? Have you seen this guy before? So look at him now. So this guy. Wait, there's no way he's that ripped Yes. Up. Well, that wasn't him, but yeah. So look at him now. I'm going to show you a picture. So here he is right there. Wow. Oh, yeah. I just saw this like last week. Because he just got into a, a Marvel movie. No way. He got into a Marvel movie. And and so and here's what he said. This is kind of cool. Right? I would not have been able to do this if I didn't have a full year with the best trainers and nutritionists paid for by the biggest studio in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I look like this, but I also understand why I never did before. It would have been impossible without these resources and time. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to disagree with him. <laughs> to, to a degree, I'm going to disagree with him, right? This dude is this dude's net worth is at least five million dollars. Right. If he wanted to find trainers and a chef and all those things and get look like that, he would have been able to. Right. It would have been way easier for him to do than you or I or anyone else with out of five million plus bank account. Right. You agree with me? Right? Absolutely. The amount of time you had to spend in the gym just to look like that is correct. <laughs> right. So if he really wanted to do that, he could have. But he didn't. And the reason why he didn't, because there's no reason for him to. And he had nothing to look. Well, now he's going to be in a Marvel movie. Right. You got to look the part. Now <laughs> I have to look the part. So there's a reason for me. And not only that, there's a deadline. Mm-hmm. You think Disney get hooked him up with all those trainers and those nutritionists and blah, 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 and said, just figure it out. Whenever you're ready, let us no, know. It's you said, six, you're not six months ready. or whatever. Correct. Right. <laughs> you're not ready by January 2021. Then we're cutting you. You get no money. We're done. Mm-hmm. So again, like if he really cared about looking like that, he had every resource he lives in LA, I believe. He lives in California. Somewhere there. Right? He's a Hollywood guy. Yeah. So <laughs> there's plenty of sun. He can go work out. He can go hiking if he wants. He can lift weights. Some of the best trainers are out there. He has the money for it. The best nutritionists are out there. Chefs, whatever. He had the money, but he did it because it wasn't that important to him. Right, because the money doesn't buy those things. Correct. Not really. So, it gets you so far. So now he has this actual deadline. I have to be looking like this. I have to do this by this date. Mm-hmm. Now he gets ready, right? So like that's a really interesting thing to me. Yeah. Is like when you have that, when it's that important to you, that is what made it important to him. It wasn't important yeah. to him before. So what is it that's gonna make what is it that's gonna make that's so important to you that will make you do that, yeah. right? And a lot of people, you know, when you get up there in age, a lot of people it's their kids, right? Yeah. I can't walk with my kids. I can't run around with my kids. Can't, can't bend over. Yeah, <laughs> I might diet. You know, like yeah. So like those are big pieces, and that's where I'm like, oh shit, like, I'm gonna have a kid. Like I gotta be ready for this. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's really what is that pain point, right? Yeah. What is that? What is that thing that's gonna really force you to really be disciplined? To reevaluate. The thing is, when I look at people who've lost, and I've worked with a decent chunk now of people who've lost 80, 100 pounds. You know. Yeah. Like, there's. 
there's always a big pain point, but the most interesting thing to me is for a full six months to a year, when they lose that weight, they don't cheat once, man. Mm-hmm. They don't cheat once. They've gone their entire life eating McDonald's and cheating all the time and cookies and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. But whenever it is that hits that, right? Whether it's, you know, a parent had a heart attack or had diabetes, right? Like that's a thing, right? Yep. Or, or, you know, their doctor tells them, if you don't fix this, you're going to die in four years, whatever. Yep. Whenever they hit that pain point, it's like a complete switch off. New person shows They're up. A new person <laughs> and they don't cheat. And they start out slow and they just do it, right? Yeah. And it's not that yo-yo thing they've been doing. So my point is, like, there's 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 a big piece there, like that that psychological, mental piece of, mm-hmm. of something is going to happen, right? Finite deadline. Yeah. It could be death. It could be diabetes. It could be a Marvel movie, whatever. And then a switch turns on. It's yeah. really interesting. I, I think it's a really good point to bring up because – we don't we don't think about it in this way. We hear all those people who are like, "Yeah, I'm going to do that," and then yeah. and then you get cynical about them, like, "Eh, they'll gain all the way yeah. back once they hit their 30 day yeah. mark, right?" But for me, it's like you need to give someone control of their life, right? Like you give them this this tools of like working out, like here's like how you eat, here's how you move, here's how these things, and then when they get to like experiment with it, and then they notice how their body is adapting yeah. to what they're doing, they're like, "Wait." Is like maybe yeah you're telling them what to do and giving them a program, but there's a certain point where they really don't need you anymore yeah. to to keep these habits in place. They, maybe they can go to you for like specific questions, like yeah. hey, here's this thing that's bothering me. I'm not really sure how to like proceed, but for the most part, they're able to take control of their own destiny for with sure. with how their body is performing at some point. Yeah, and that's what you want. Like you know, my job, that's my job is I don't you know I'd love for people to come here forever, but my understanding is. And I know this, like, they're going to get busier, they're going to move, they're going to go to college or whatever. So I want to give them all the tools that I possibly can for them to succeed outside of here mm-hmm. and outside of this facility. Yep. And that's where, like we talked about before, explaining why we do things instead of just saying, well, this is what we do, right? Or making sure that their, you know, their form is correct, making sure that this is how we program things out and this is why we program things out, you know? Like, those are all important pieces because I, I don't want them to just do well here. I want them when they go out in the world to do well, whether they go to college and they train with a different strength conditioning coach, right? Or whether mm-hmm. they move away and have to go to a different gym or whatever, like let's get them prepared as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've already been doing this for almost an hour and a half. Yeah, and uh, so we'll wrap up with some more like general questions. So the yeah. first one will be, since you've been mentioning books and research, any like favorite books or most gifted books that you've... Yeah, so any Malcolm Gladwell book. Cool. Malcolm Gladwell is my favorite author. I read Outliers a couple years ago. Yeah, I love that one. Phenomenal, phenomenal um, author, and, and that was a phenomenal book. And the Go Giver is another one of my favorites. That's a book that I try to read every year. It's a fictional book, a fictional business book. About, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of mm-hmm. it before. Yeah, it's a fictional business book about a guy who's trying to meet his quota uh, at a big insurance company, and it ends up meeting with guru, so to speak. You know dude is worth $3 billion or whatever and, and kind of walks him through how to do that. But it's a completely different way than what he had thought it was going to be. Right. right? It's a phenomenal book. It's fictional. But it's really good. And uh, and then we talked about Tim Ferriss' book. I really liked Tools of Titans. Mm-hmm. Was, it was one I was a big fan of as well. Probably my, my favorite book of all time. And I read it a while back, but it's still my favorite. was How to Argue. And whenever oh, cool. A guy named Jerry Spence. He was uh, a lawyer in Wyoming, mm-hmm. I believe. And at that point, he had a few like big, high-profile cases. He had never lost a jury trial Whoa. at that point, and and like three of his trials were lifetime network 
TV movies. Like that's how big, you know, big yeah. uh, profile they were. Yeah. So that was a really good book. And then I really liked the book, uh, so good. They can't ignore you by Cal Newport. Yep. A, I've heard really that one recommended before. Cool. Second to last question is if you had any advice for either someone who's just entering the real world or looking to take a news path, what would you tell them to do or avoid? Learn everything that you can would be probably the biggest thing. Go out of your way to increase, this is from Cal Newport too, increase what he calls career capital. Everyone goes to their job and does what they're supposed to do, their bare minimum, and then walks away and then is upset when they don't get a promotion. Like Find ways that you can be more valuable. And generally speaking, that's going to be by learning new things and offering those to your employer or to your to the owner or whatever, right? So I think that's probably the biggest thing is, is just learn and, and, and constantly be learning, right? Like I said, you know, my grandfather taught me that is, is if I'm constantly learning and constantly improving, good things are going to tend to happen. Cool. And um, so last thing is just where can people connect with you? I am not on, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. If that makes sense. Uh, you have it, but don't my, use it. Yes, <laughs> my, my website, sportslabllc.com. And that is also the Instagram. Cool. And I do have a Twitter at Gabe Salinas, but I am very rarely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I'll have that in the show notes so Sounds people can good. find and connect with you if they have awesome. any questions or anything like that. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thank this you. is awesome. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's, a, that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.